This week, Judge Polster denies opioid MDL defendant's motion to disqualify him. PG&E ad hoc group TCC push exclusivity termination. McDermott seeks new money to stabilize operations. More on all this and, as always, updates from Puerto Rico. Welcome to the Week in Reorg. Hello, and welcome to the Reorg podcast, where we bring you the latest top developments in high-yield and distressed debt and bankruptcy. I'm Connor Skelding, reporter for Reorg in New York. And I'm Raksha Manjanath. Later this episode, we'll hear from Credit Research Director Mark Fisher and reporter Harvard Jong on a slew of middle market credits, VIP Cinema, Bumblebee Foods, High Ridge Brands, and NPC. It's Sunday, September 29th. Last week saw more news in the opioid multi-district litigation pending in the U.S. District Court for the Northern District of Ohio. Judge Danner and Polster on Thursday released an opinion and order denying the motion from several MDL defendants, calling for the judge to recuse himself. The movements were defendants Amerisource Bergen, Cardinal, McKesson, Walgreens, Shine, CVS, Rite Aid, and Walmart. Judge Polster denied the disqualification motion, acknowledging in his opinion the tremendous publicity and significance of the cases in light of the, quote, historic opioid epidemic. Quote, Publicly acknowledging this human toll does not suggest I am biased. It shows that I am human, Judge Bolster wrote. The opinion concluded with the judge stating his confidence that, quote, no reasonable person can legitimately question his impartiality. Last Wednesday, Judge Polster issued an order stating that the Teva Holding Company, Teva Pharmaceuticals Industry Limited, or Teva Limited, quote, shall not be a defendant in the Track 1 MDL trial. Certain of Teva Limited's subsidiaries remain defendants in the Track 1 trial, and the order notes that in the event of a verdict against these subsidiaries, the court may determine Teva Limited's liability based on an alter ego or other appropriate theory. Earlier in the week, the judge ruled on whether the Track 1 plaintiff's public nuisance claim and related damages under Ohio law should be decided by a jury or by the judge at the trial set to begin on October 21st. Quote, The court concludes that public nuisance liability will be determined by the jury, Judge Polster wrote. If liability attaches, the court will separately fashion remedies. Meanwhile, certain proposed class member plaintiffs from Ohio, the cities of East Cleveland, Huron, Lyndhurst, Mayfield Heights, North Royalton, and Wycliffe, filed a petition for permission to appeal to the Sixth Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals. Judge Polster's September 11th order and opinion granting certain cities and counties requests to approve a nationwide, quote, negotiation class for the purpose of negotiating and settling with opioid defendants. In the Purdue Pharma bankruptcy case, the U.S. trustee appointed nine members to the official committee of unsecured creditors, including Blue Cross Blue Shield Association and CVS Caremark. The UCC members selected Aiken as their legal advisor. Also, this coming week, Reorg will host a webinar entitled Opioid Litigation in State, District, and Bankruptcy Courts. That's this coming Thursday, October 3rd at 2 p.m. Eastern Time. Please join our team as we continue to cover the current state of the opioid litigation and how it affects specific credits. Last Monday, Reorg reported that, according to sources, McDermott International is seeking new money financing of at least $1 billion to stabilize operations. Any new money debt is likely to prime existing secured lenders and would require the company to amend its credit agreement and bond indenture, the same sources noted. 
According to estimates by Rear Covenants, the indenture for the 10 and 5 eighths unsecured notes due 2024 permits approximately $1.3 billion of additional secured debt, assuming a fully drawn revolver and reducing for $1.67 billion in LC facilities, while the credit agreement permits $250 million of additional secured capacity. REARC also reported a series of advisor hires surrounding McDermott, including the replacement of Jones Day by Davis Polk as term loan legal advisor after the former was conflicted out. The group also retained Centerview Partners as financial advisor. Additionally, holders of the company's 2024 unsecured notes are working with Hulhan Loki as financial advisor and Paul Weiss as legal advisor, according to sources. Credit Agricole, as administrative agent under McDermott's Revolver and LC facility, is working with FTI Consulting. And as previously reported, the company itself is working with Kirkland and Ellis as legal advisor and Alex Partners and Evercore as financial advisors. Now for another update on the PG&E bankruptcy. Last Wednesday, the official committee of tort claimants, or TCC, and the ad hoc noteholder group filed an amended term sheet for their competing plan. The groups proposed to file their plan if their exclusivity termination motion is granted. Consistent with prior discussions, the amended term sheet provides fire claims aggregate consideration of $25.5 billion, split 50-50 between cash and common stock. In addition, the plan would provide for $29.2 billion of new money investments, increased from $28.4 billion under the prior term sheet. That's in exchange for approximately 59.3% of the outstanding common stock of reorganized PG&E Corp new debt of reorganized PG&E Corp., and the new debt of the reorganized utility company. Separately, the debtors filed a motion late Wednesday evening seeking to further extend their exclusive period for filing a plan of reorganization up to and including November 29th, and exclusive period for soliciting a plan up to and including January 28th, 2020. Previously, the deadlines had been extended to September 26th and November 26th, respectively. The debtors asserted that the relief was appropriate, quote, in view of the substantial progress that has been made in these cases, while noting that, quote, various issues need to be addressed, including determining the aggregate wildfire liabilities held by constituency represented by the TCC to be treated in the plan. During a status conference Tuesday on the PG&E debtors plan, Judge Montelli scheduled the exclusivity termination motion filed jointly by the Official Committee of Tort Claimants and the Ad Hoc Noteholder Group for a hearing on October 7th, one day ahead of the originally scheduled hearing. In addition, Judge Montelli ordered briefing on the, quote, liquidated versus unliquidated issue in connection with the Bankruptcy Code Section 502C proceeding, as well as whether the debtor's Chapter 11 plan filed on Monday impairs the so-called funded debt claims and, quote, what to do about it. Lastly, on Thursday, the California Public Utilities Commission, or CPUC, opened an investigation into the, quote, rate-making and other implications for Pacific Gas and Electric Company that would result from the confirmation of the debtor's proposed plan filed on Monday. According to a statement, the investigation would, quote, afford parties the opportunity to be heard and comment on any CPUC regulatory review resulting from a proposed plan of reorganization, any proposed settlement between PG&E and the CPUC staff filed in connection with the plan, any regulatory approvals for PG&E to become eligible to participate in the wildfire fund established pursuant to AB 1054, any other regulatory approvals required by AB 1054, 
and any other matters that may need to be decided by the CPUC in connection with the plan. The Promesa Oversight Board early Friday morning filed a plan of adjustment and a disclosure statement for the Commonwealth of Puerto Rico, the Employees Retirement System, and the Puerto Rico Public's Public Buildings Authority. In connection with the plan, the PBA filed its own Title III petition this morning. An accompanying press release said that the Oversight Board's plan would reduce the Commonwealth's $35 billion of total liabilities by more than 60% to $12 billion. Quote, Combined with the restructuring of COFINA debt earlier this year, the plan reduces the Commonwealth's annual debt service to just under 9% of own source revenues, down from almost 30% of government revenues prior to PROMISA. The plan would also establish an, quote, independent pension revenue trust to ensure PAYGO benefits can be paid regardless of the economic or political situation and include an 8.5% pension reduction for retirees earning over $1,200 a month. 60% of retirees will face no cut, the release said. The joint plan of adjustment builds on the plan support agreement announced in June, initially entered into the Lawful Constitutional Debt Coalition and QTCB Noteholder Group, representing certain general obligation bondholders. The Oversight Board press release indicates that in conjunction with the plan, it has now reached agreements with the Official Committee of Retired Employees of the Government of Puerto Rico and the Public Servants United of Puerto Rico, SPU-AFSCME Council 95. The Oversight Board states that the plan, quote, includes support from holders of approximately $4 billion in claims, representing 54% of claims from PBA bonds issued before 2012, and 22% of all GO and PBA claims, making the plan support agreement effective. Other top stories last week were Malincrot amends indemnification arrangements, executive severance plan, certain severance benefits to be paid out in lump sum instead of installments, Frontier solicits NDAs from bondholder advisors sets meeting next week to begin negotiations, and two new co-sponsors join H.R. 3502 surprise billing legislation favored by Envision, bringing total co-sponsors to 90. And as always... Here's Jim Holloway with the week ahead. Well, thanks, Connor, and good morning, everyone. And autumn is upon us, down to the frigid low 90s here in the Deep South, so once I'm done here, I'm going to have to go dig out my parka. Anyways, Monday, September 30th, the bell tolls for thee, by which I mean there's a number of companies that need to take care of that little matter of the VIG due to your lenders. Now, you know who you are, but for the benefit of our listeners, it is Hornbeck Offshore, $7 million on that delayed draw term loan is due. J.C. Penney up there outside Dallas, $10.6 million amortization payment and a $26 million coupon on the 23 term loan. Malin Crote, hope I pronounced that right, $20 million on the 24 term loan. And McDermott, another dame down here in my neck of the woods, $5.65 million amortization due on its 2025 term loan. And there's also a Westmore Anonymous hearing and a sale order clarification hearing in Empire Generation and a forbearance expiration for Premier Global. Tuesday, October 1st, more of the same, but even more of it. Coupons are due from Acosta and on four series of notes from Frontier Communications. Also on Hornbeck Offshore's 2020 notes and on three series of JCPenney's notes. 
And also, as usual, we have the TSA report from Puerto Rico and a Tubbs Fire Status Conference hearing in PG&E. Wednesday, October 2nd, there's not a lot, so on to Thursday, October 3rd. EP Energy here in Houston, forbearance expiration, and a bunch of hearing-type things, including Bristow, confirmation hearing, Fusion, an omnibus hearing, Sears, a confirmation hearing, and a Stanford Status Conference hearing in Barney's. Friday, October 4th, the off-extended forbearance expiration for approach expires again. There's a planned supplement due from Emerge. And in the courthouse, we have exclusivity extension hearing in Cloud Peak, an auction, if needed, in Jack Cooper, and right when you were hoping to leave at 4.30 p.m., thank you, PG&E, a CPUC status conference. And that would seem to be it. Thanks, and back to you all in New York. Thanks, Jim. Now, here are Mark and Harvard on the middle market. So I'm back with Harvard Jung. We're going to go over some middle market uh, names that Harvard's been covering for a while, have a lot of um, interesting developments on them. Today's theme is going to be consumer-related for companies that are all um, either sell products directly to consumers or in that um, consumer share of the wallet, uh, VIP Cinema, High Ridge, NPC International, and Bumblebee Foods. So thanks, Harvard, and let's uh, get right into it. So want to start with uh, VIP Cinema, which um, I personally think is the um, provided one of the greatest innovations of the last 20 years, the reclining chairs at the, the movie theaters, which I love going to now and falling asleep on. So um, let's, uh, let's talk about what's going on. The company has um, a little under 200 million in total debt split between um, first lien, revolver, second lien, uh, loan. And uh, why don't you tell us a little about what's going on? Yes. yes. Um, so this is interesting credit. So VIP Cinema Seating, it's a uh, manufacturer of, as you said, lux- luxury seats for movie theaters. So they supply um, luxury leather recliners to AMC, Cinemark, Regal, Regal and uh, Marcus, and it has about like 70% of market share in North America. And the companies get into trouble because there are only uh, there are only so many movie theater locations you can you know put luxury seats in. So there's a um, saturation problem. And financially, VIP is now operating under a uh, forbearance agreement with its first lien lenders uh, after breaching a leverage covenant. Uh, we reported the negotiations between the company and the lenders to give VIP more time. Um, the parties are looking at a, um, a covenant holiday, paying the interest um, on the second lien uh, debt with additional debt in, uh, uh, instead of cash. And sponsor HIG Capital would um, you know, write a check to shore up liquidity. Um, but there's still a gap between you know regarding math between what the company um, is willing to you know, to willing to offer and what the lenders want on those items. Great. And uh, speaking of that saturation problem, you had reported in 2018 the company's EBITDA dropped 27 percent uh, because of a what the company said. I guess the delay in the replacement cycle and, and aftermarket spend. So I guess that speaks to um, product being saturated, and then you're just waiting for your customers to uh, to upgrade. 
Uh, so let's uh, let's move on. High Ridge Brands. Um, if you've been to a Walmart or a Dollar Tree, um, you probably have seen one of their brands um, on the shelves: Zest Soap, Vo5 Shampoo, um, a bunch of different uh, brands that they sell. Uh, company has about 500 million of um, debt, uh, including a fully drawn 50 million revolver, and then um, uh, the rest split between first lien, uh, term loan, and senior unsecured notes, um, Harvard, take it away. So High Ridge Brands is a, a marketer and dis- distributor actually of um, hair styling, body wash, and you know, like you said, or- oral care products, including Zest, soap, a VO5 shampoo, and um, Binaga um, breath freshener. And this company has some issues um, from uh, with the supply chain, actually, capacity constraints at its uh, historically exclusive bar soap manufacturer. Also, they also have problems um, convincing retail you know, like you said, Walmart uh, and also Dollar Tree to carry their products. Uh, and, you know, th- those products, you know, according to some sources, you know, Channel 1980s, which is, you know, is a problem for them right now uh, to grow the top line. Uh, and uh, Walmart and Dollar Tree are the um, the company's two largest customers, according to its quarterly reports. And on the financials front, EBITDA loss widened year over year in the most recent quarter. Uh, net sales also fell, and High Ridge was burning cash. Um, the company skipped a uh, 11 million coupon payment due earlier this month, and re- we reported that uh, High Ridge is actually ex- exploring uh, a sale and alternatively a restructuring. Uh, including debt for equity swap, and it's also considering using a, um, a Chapter 11, actually, to facilitate the transaction. Great. And um, to put numbers around the size of uh, Walmart and Dollar Tree, um, I guess year to date uh, through June 30th, Walmart accounted for just under 30% of sales and Dollar Tree uh, 14.3%. Uh, uh, so moving along, um, NPC International, uh, which is a uh, franchisee of um, Pizza Hut, and the company has um, this is a little large for our, our typical, you know, what we consider middle market here, but uh, grouping it in here anyway. Five hundred eighty million of a first lien term loan, one hundred sixty million of a um, second lien uh, term loan. Harper, what's going on there? Yes, Mark. So this name may not be familiar to a lot of people, but like you said, it's it's actually the largest Pizza Hut and Wendy's franchisee and the fifth largest restaurant unit operator in the U.S. And MPC has, you know, 36,500 employees, operates more than 1,213 Pizza Hut restaurants in 27 states and more than uh, 386 Wendy's restaurants in um, seven states and Washington, D.C. And this company, as many others in the restaurant, you know, industry faces pressures such as, you know, higher wages and rising food prices, um, competition from other fast food chains and food delivery service providers, and also underperformance at um, certain locations. These headwinds are, you know, straining liquidity and its ability to comply with a um, seven times total leverage um, test under the company's revolver. And for the most recent quarter, EBITDA deteriorated compared with a year earlier, and NPC generated negative free cash flow in the first half of this year. And also, as expected, the company and the first lien and second lien uh, lenders all hired restructuring advisors, as we reported. Uh, The sponsors, Eldridge Industries and Delaware Holdings, seem to be supportive, actually, and they put in um, $50 million 
of new money in the form of a first additional first lien debt and another uh, eight million of equity. Um, so the story continues to develop. But that um, that equity injection though happened earlier in the year. Uh, Yes, the, the, I think uh, at the beginning of the year, the sponsor promised um, a certain amount and they've been you know, delivering on the promise. Got it. At least trying to. <laughs> uh, okay, so uh, last one that we wanted to talk to was a name people are probably familiar with, uh, Bumblebee Foods, um, the maker of canned tuna, salmon, and other canned seafoods. Um, so also a little bit um, larger and... Uh, than you know than we typically have, but we'll still group it in here. Company has a 200 million asset based revolving credit facility, 650 million uh, term loan, and it's also I guess this one's less about uh, financial performance and more about a um, a, a judgment, a litigation. Um, uh, that that they owe. Yes, Mark. So the reason why Bumblebee Foods um, is um, considered like distressed uh, and came up, came onto our radar is because there are you know class action lawsuits against the company regarding uh, tuna price fixing. So the allegation was um, the three largest uh, one of the uh, three of the largest canned food seafood brands, Bumblebee, Starkist, and uh, Chicken of the Sea. They they were the allegation was that you know they conspired to fix the prices of the products so um, the prices you know could remain elevated and Bumblebee actually pled guilty in 2017 on two price fixing with respect to shelf stable tuna fish and agreed to pay a on 25 million uh, criminal fine um, there are also other class action lawsuits against Bumblebee including allegations that you know the company misled marketing of its uh, tuna products as dolphin safe uh, meaning the tuna fishing methods used do not kill dolphins and other marine animals, and also allegation that you know Bumblebee misrepresented uh, its canned salmon product as smoked and wild caught. So there's a lot going on, and in light of this, Bumblebee was trying to raise uh, financing on uh, to cover the costs to, to settle the lawsuits uh, while the company is operating uh, under forbearance after breaching a leverage covenant earlier this year. And we reported in July that the company may use a um, Chapter 11 filing to find a path uh, forward and uh, put the lawsuits uh, behind it. Thanks, Harvard. Um, so those are our four consumer names um, for this uh, time. I appreciate uh, you coming around again and look forward to the next time to talk um, middle market credits. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Yep. And Connor, back to you. Thanks a lot, Mark. And thank you, listener, for tuning into another Reorg Weekly Review. As always, find all of our podcasts on the site media page, plus iTunes and SoundCloud. This has been The Week in Reorg, and I'm Connor Skelting.